Hello and welcome to another episode of Cloud Security Podcast. This week our guest was David O'Brien and we got him in to talk about Azure Identity and Access Management. David, as you know, for people who have heard of him before, he is an MVP of Azure. And we spoke about different elements of identity and access management. We spoke about the different kind of identities that exist. Now, whether it's a human user, a privileged user, a managed identity, or a third-party user, or even a robot user, I usually tend to put them in three big categories, a human user, robot user, third-party user. Now, we spoke about how you can configure these, how you visualize these, and you would realize the first half an hour or conversation and how complex this subject is. It's much more around identity management as a concept. And before we even got into the Azure space, we kind of had to clarify a few things. So I would appreciate your patience with it. And it was really interesting to kind of hear from some of the breadth of experiences had with different uh, enterprise, what the ideal world should be and what the reality is. I hope you get value out of it. If you're looking for some information on more identity management in Azure, a great topic for you to listen on the podcast. If you do have any questions or feedback, feel free to reach out. Always appreciate the feedback that you guys have given us in terms of reviews on the iTunes and the subscriptions and comments that you leave in the YouTube videos. Special shout out to the Patreon folks who keep supporting us because uh, we wouldn't be here without you. So really appreciate the support. And finally, for those who are celebrating Father's Day in Australia, happy Father's Day to those of you celebrating and happy Labor's Day long weekend for those in the US celebrating a long weekend. I hope you guys have a restful time with your family, stay safe, and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Coffee with Ashish. Today, we are talking about identity access management in Azure, privilege identity access management in Azure. And I have uh, one of our local favorites, MVP of Azure, David O'Brien here, and I'm going to bring him in. Hey, David, how are you? Morning, Ashish. Thanks for coming in, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. No problem. With that. I know it's a tradition, right? Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> for people who don't know, David has David is a a return guest for us. And for people who don't know you, who is David O'Brien? David O'Brien is a Zoo MVP um, for seven years now, I think. I'm the owner and founder of Xyrus, a Australian cloud consulting company and the founder of Argos, a new startup in the cloud security space. Ooh, uh, we should definitely get uh, some of those interesting conversations going about the products that you're building as well. And just taking a pause there for a second, um, because clearly Azure, you've mentioned a couple of times. What is Azure cloud security for you? Ooh, a very, very big topic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like what's your definition of it? When people say cloud security in Azure, what do you think of it? I think of a lot of conversations with people and um because one of the reasons probably why you ask this question is because everybody understands something else when you say security and it, it, it starts with the people and that's when we usually also start talking about identity management <laughs> and 
at, at some point we then get into actually the applications and the network security and app security, but especially around cloud, it usually starts around IAM. I think it's a good topic because you mentioned uh, you yourself are into IAM. Uh, by the way, hi, Paul. That's all right. You don't, you're not late enough, man. You're, you came at the right time. I just wanted to call out that um, if you guys have any questions, just keep posting them on the comment section. Say hello to David as well. We're nice people. Even though he may be drinking tea right now, him and I are still friends with tea and coffee. We're nice people in general. So feel free to drop like in your questions. <laughs> oh, he doesn't even like coffee. But, but, well, for anyone else, we're twinning with our beards. That's pretty much what it is. He just, has to, he just happens to have a shorter beard for the moment. Thanks for coming in again, Paul, and anyone else who wants to drop in and chime in, uh, feel free to leave your comments in the chat window on the side. And identity and access management. What is identity and access management? And I know you can go in, like it's like a very broad topic, but to simplify it for people who are coming in, let's talk about it from a perspective of the whole hybrid and Azure kind of perspective as well, please. Yeah, so on Azure IAM, um, it, it, it's always around Azure Active Directory. So you always talk, when somebody says IAM, there's always Azure Active Directory because that's that's your domain, that's your tenant. Uh, and that's sometimes also some terminology that people confuse. It's the tenant, that's where your identity lives. That's your Azure Active Directory. And if you're coming from a more Microsoft background, then the on-premises Active Directory is similar to it, even though underlying technology is very different, but the principles are very similar. Your identity lives in that Azure Active Directory store, and that's where you control your access to your Azure subscription. Another thing that people sometimes, and the Azure portal, when you sign up to it, confuses people a bit, I think, because you sign up to an Azure subscription, but really what you sign up to is a tenant and underneath that you get your subscription. But the tenant creation is a bit abstracted away for you. Oh, interesting. And I, I think for people who probably don't know the tenant definition, what tenants are, we did an episode on this. I think I'll probably leave the link for it somewhere here. Um, which was Azure uh, 101, because, because this is Azure 201, we're going one level up. And from that perspective, does it change? How, how about identity management from a perspective of, if I, to your point, AAD is different to act, uh, the uh, on-prem Active Directory. In AAD world, is the identity management still, uh, say, a localized user? Or is it like, what, what are you going to say? Like, what are the different kinds of it? Yeah, so AAD has multiple types of users. So you can... You, you create your local user, your local AAD user, that would be your cloud-only user. And these identities usually have the, let's say, David O'Brien at domain name dot on Microsoft.com. So these are the cloud local users. And as an alternative to that, pretty much every enterprise on this planet is most likely going to go and um, federate their local domains or their own domains onto Azure Active Directory so that you can achieve single sign-on with your on-premises. David, the domain name, the UPN, the user principal name into Azure Active Directory. 
that's how you also get your Office 365 email mailboxes. Um, so it, this Azure Active Directory identity spans a lot of applications in the Microsoft space. But yeah, you have your local cloud users and your federated users. All oh, right. Okay. So and federated by federated users, you mean single sign-on? Yeah. I guess you can have your domain. Okay. Fair enough. Correct. And yeah. is that? And I do want to dive deep into this a bit, but I think before we dive deep, it's probably worthwhile calling out that out of these recommendations that are there for, or you can go federated, or you can have other other kinds of users. Is there a recommendation or a best practice for setting up identity in an Azure land, considering it's different from your on-prem Active Directory and someone who's listening in was probably like an on-prem uh, version of this, why, why, yeah. how would they deal with, I guess, how, how should you, how should they go forward with it? Yeah, look, um, there, there's some big differences, um, even though it looks similar and it, the name is also very similar um, with Active Directory. Underneath, the, the authentication is not Kerberos and it's not LDAP, which, which you get on-prem. On Azure Active Directory, it's all modern authentication. So SAML, REST calls, it's very, very different from an underlying tag. You, you can achieve Kerberos authentication and LDAP by deploying another service, which kind of hooks into AAD, but that, that could be a, a whole episode on its own. Yeah. Um, the identity best practices really come down to the company that we're talking about. So not every company needs to go and federate. If you if you if you're a Gmail user or a G Suite company, G Suite customer, then you might not have Office 365 and um, uh, Exchange Online. So there might not be a need for you to federate your local identities into Azure. So local cloud users might be fine. But from, from an identity point of view, there's then the whole, how do I secure my identities? How do I um, use actual human users versus robot users versus guest users? Because um, that's another type of identity. You can invite, uh, I could invite your identity, your external identity into my tenant as a guest user um, oh. and then give you access to certain resources in my tenant, for example. Wow, and maybe that's why that's why explains this topic getting the most vote on the poll that I ran. It's just like so. There's so many layers to it, right? We've only we haven't even gone into the Azure land. We're still like scratching the surface yeah. of identity access management, and just within that point, we have kind of spoken about people who can be invited into my Azure tenant. And then there are people who are just part of the tenant, but then there are even within that, there's almost like a, like separate pockets of the different kinds of people you can have. I think you mentioned one very important thing. We're not at this point talking about Azure. Yeah, that's right. All. We haven't even yeah. gone into it yet. So it's called Azure Active Directory, but it's, but you need to think of it as a separate thing. The Azure Active Directory tenant really sits above all these Microsoft applications of which Azure is one application that you can get access to from your tenant. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think you kind of said it the right way because uh, people may make the mistake of comparing this to IAM, which is not exactly the same, kind of the same, but not the same. Isn't that right? Yeah. So you're talking about AWS IAM. Sorry, yeah. yes. Uh, if you're talking yeah. about AWS IAM, yes. Yeah. AWS IAM lives inside of the AWS account that you own. And Azure doesn't necessarily have identities that live in a subscription. Yep. You do RBAC, so Robis Access Control. You do do that inside of your Azure subscription as well. But the identity in almost all cases is external to the Azure subscription. Interesting. And so the easiest way for anyone who's probably listening when this goes in the podcast version, it's a layer right on the top basically across all subscription. Now subscription is an equivalent of a Google project or an AWS account coming in, but yeah. this is, so tenant is that layer right on the top. That's where the identity is. But in an AWS context, it's your individual account, which has each of the identities in there. Yeah. And then you kind of do whatever you are back on that, right? Yeah. So uh, an AWS equivalent could be, you've got your AWS organization and you federate Ident external identities Identity and then jump into each of these AWS account with that same identity. Yeah, perfect. Um, yeah. And just to take that a bit further and the way I kind of describe this to other people so that every normal day people can understand this as well and it doesn't get too complicated. I describe this into choose two kind of set of boxes. One, there are human users and then there is the robot users. So I think we've been scratching the surface on the human users so far, yeah. but in terms of covering up the human user co component, we kind of have to, if I'm just saying this correctly, you have a user defined in the tenant who may be a guest or an existing user. Was there any other user in that space that you want to call out as a human user? No, not really. No, you cannot or, federate it, but they're local still. Oh, and yeah. then oh, it's a type of authentication at that point, but it's not like yeah. a different kind of user. Perfect. Yeah. And what about uh, robot users then? That's the other camp which people don't talk about. Correct. Talk about. Correct. If you come from an on-premises um, Active Directory uh, world, then there, there's this concept of a service account, yeah, and which would be a robot user. The thing mm -hmm. is that service accounts never really were any different to the David O'Brien account, technically. People just went and called a service account, SVC underscore something, and then that was your service account. Technically, it was just an Active Directory user. Um, yeah. Microsoft did um, at some point release a managed service account. However, that had very limited support for applications. So what people then go and do is they go to Azure Active Directory and mm. they sometimes also just create for robot scenarios, basically for application scenarios. They sometimes go and apply that same mentality to Azure Active Directory and just create another Azure Active Directory user, which then needs to authenticate against something. Problem with that is that as a very, 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 very lots of emphasis on that good practice, 
is that every Azure Active Directory user should have MFA enforced on them, right? It's free, mm. it's out of the box. It's literally one tick box that you tick and your user has MFA enforced. Yeah. Um, obviously, an application cannot respond or most applications probably don't respond to MFA claims out of the box, right? Um, an MF an application doesn't own a phone or can respond to any prompts. Yep. So what people then unfortunately do is they just don't enforce MFA on these, on that user. Microsoft, however, went and very early on in the AAD um, life, basically, they created something called an application an mm. application registration. And if you go and Google or Bing or Dr. Go for it or whatever you want, you, you probably search for the SPN, service principle name, term, yeah. or um, just app registration. And these are actual application identities that you can create. You get your application ID, you create a secret, and then the application can authenticate against any APIs that Azure and Azure AD and Office 365 expose with that application ID and application secret, like a proper application. Uh, perfect. And I, I think that reminds me, there's actually a third camp to this whole thing, which is a third party, which that has an identity into your Azure or AWS. And obviously, a lot of cloud providers have their own recommendation for, oh, great, you've, this is how you do deal with human users. This is how you deal with robot users. But how do you deal with third-party users? What does that look like? Yeah, and so, yeah, good question. Third-party applications, with, without bad-mouthing other companies, um, there's different levels of maturity. Um, yeah. Just like on AWS, um, they might ask for, uh, sometimes for an IM user, which isn't necessarily the best. Sometimes they say, hey, deploy this CloudFormation template and you get an IM role. Sometimes they say, hey, we can assume a role from our EC2 or whatever we have. Same on Azure. Sometimes they go and say, um, please create an AAD user for us and give us the username and password. Not necessarily great. The other thing is, the application registration that I just mentioned. Yeah, they might say, can you please create an app registration? Give us the application ID and the application secret. Yeah. Um, if, if they expose themselves already as a web application, then they might go and publish themselves into the enterprise application gallery, which is another concept of applications where, for example, a um, let's just take Facebook. If you wanted to allow people to log into Facebook from AAD with your own identity, because you might be a workplace um, user, yeah, mm -hmm. workplace customer, and you want your uh, your employees to be able to log into Facebook Workplace with their yeah. uh, work identities, you can install this enterprise application out of the gallery for Facebook. And that would then SAML authenticate into Facebook. Oh, right. Okay. And so, okay. So I guess, so summarizing that again. So we have uh, human users where the RBAC is. We have 
robot users were assuming there's RBAC as well. Yeah. Is that a absolutely. yes? Oh, perfect. And then there's app registration, there's, there's another app RBAC. Yes. Interesting. And where does the whole concept of, is it RBAC more in terms of, say, you're defining a policy or a group policy in Active Directory or AAD in this context, I guess? Or is it more individual, like are there objects called roles? What's that thing called? How do I say yeah. RBAC? Yeah, so um, we forget about we completely forget about group policy at this point because group policy doesn't exist in AAD. Um, uh -huh. So we we have built-in roles, and and I think the important thing is we're still not even talking about Azure at this point. <laughs> Here we are. Yes, go on. Yeah, we're still talking about AAD objects and resources, and in in AAD you can do RBAC, giving people access or people and applications access to groups. Mm -hmm. And these would be your AAD groups where we, where you just go and group identities together. And then you can add a group to a role, to an Azure Active Directory role, which would then give people specific permissions to AAD. So in AAD, you can be a password administrator, you can be a security administrator. There's dozens of built-in roles. Now, if we oh. want to go and um, talk about applying your identity and permissions to Azure, going down into the application. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe we should, we should probably get to the, the, the crux of yeah. it. Right. Just... And, and, and it's helpful to think of Azure as an application underneath the AAD tenant. So you give some, you can give somebody access to AAD. Yep. Yeah. So your identity in AAD, you can give it access to AAD to do things in there. Yeah. Create a user, delete a user, change user's password. Yep. None of that gives a user access to Azure. <laughs> now, the next step would be if you needed access to Azure. I feel so disappointed. We spoke about identity for half an hour and we haven't even reached Azure yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and I think that's really the point um, that I'm right. also trying to make, right? You have your tenant layer on top of everything. Yeah. Um, but then you can give somebody access to Office 365 or Microsoft 365. You can give somebody access to Azure and other applications from that AAD tenant, right? Mm -hmm. um, and once you've given somebody access to Azure, then we again talk about other RBAC aspects like um, access to an Azure role, access to Azure permissions. So there's mm -hmm. a similar but separate ABAC model, not an identity yep. model, but ABAC model inside yep. of the application called Azure. And I think it's worthwhile calling out as well the, to the fact that anyone who may be coming from another cloud provider, say Google Cloud or AWS, they might find this concept quite weird. But I think coming from a Windows world, I think the, the concept totally makes sense because we've always had applications and you have their uh, almost like your one active directory, which rules them all. Then you have a domain, which kind of, for lack of a better word, I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna compare it to tenant in this context, which is your mm. 
domain and that yeah. allows you to kind of have access to different subscriptions applications and kind of so on correct and and having coming from an identity management background myself, the, we kind of have to talk about another concept, which a lot of people, and because we're touching R back as well, which is normal user versus privileged user. Yeah. Is that is our privileged user? Now, the whole concept is gelled in a very different way in AWS, in Google Cloud. Like there's, there's the whole concept of you, you jump in read only and then you write by elevating your privileges. Yeah. What does that look like in Azure land? It by default, so we're talking best practices here, right? So yeah, best yeah. practice would ideal be, world. Let's go with ideal world first. <laughs> yeah, best practice would be you log into Azure with um, David O'Brien user account, and all I have is either no permissions at all, or okay. and I can't see anything, or all I get is read only. Yeah, because okay. That, that's my base permissions. And and then there's a feature, a service that's part of Azure Active Directory, which is called Privileged Identity Management. Unfortunately, I want to say it does cost a bit of money, not much. I think it's $5 per user per month. $5 per user. <laughs> oh my God, so expensive. <laughs> and it's part of a license that almost every company has anyways you mean um, enterprise company would have or most so pretty much every enterprise company oh, okay. will have it yeah and if you're an office 365 customer for example you will also already in most cases have that so for most companies it shouldn't be an extra expenditure yeah but it could be. So I'm just calling out. It's part yeah. of no. not well, the basic AAD license. Yeah. Um, so privileged identity management or PIM, um, yeah. that would be where you go and then say, hey, I want to request access to a different role, to a higher privileged role. And the nice thing about this is there's actually you can actually configure a bit of a workflow around that depending on the role if i for example said i want access to the global administrator role yeah the global administrator role is essentially like your root account for actual human users right and i i could go and as a global administrator i can delete whole azure subscriptions yeah that's a very high privileged role so if I want to access that, I can request the access and then people have to approve that access. So there's an actual approval workflow that can be put behind PIM. Plus the access you get is time boxed. So oh, okay. you, that's also configurable with a maximum time of eight hours. So you don't have standing permissions forever. That would be the ideal way to do privileged identity management on Azure. Sometimes people go and do it a bit different. They kind of apply the principles from on-prem Active Directory, where you have your regular user, your non-admin user that you use to log into your laptop, for example, and that has your mailbox and all of that configured. And if you need to do admin work, you then have your, I don't know, underscore admin user. And on AAD, people do do that sometimes as well. They have 
a normal user that they log in with. And if yep. they need to do higher privileged role or uh, actions, they log out again and log in to AAD with the admin account, which might have higher controls on it, um, shorter session tokens, um, right. LFA from everywhere and things like that. Uh, okay. And to, to your point, well, and because we're, we're not coming, we're not Microsoft at the moment, uh, you can probably talk about this. How many people actually following this? Enterprise is quite a bit, I right. see. The smaller the company gets, and I think that's just at some point also a startup thing where companies sometimes just need to ship something, right? Yeah. And yeah. security um, then comes second. It it does depend. The privileged identity management is a more advanced concept yep. um, when it comes when it comes to Azure. And as I said, there are ways to get around that, um, paying that extra license by just having a second user, for example, which you have to go and log in with. But then that user always has these permissions. There's no audit trace. Right. Um, and if people have that user and have access to that user, people at some point, because we are all lazy, yeah, instead of logging in with one user and then and then realizing, oh, actually, I need to do this other thing. At some point, we will always go and just log in with the admin user. Always. <laughs> that, that is so. Wait, what are you? I don't log in with my admin user. I have uh, MFA. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I was gonna ask. We kind of covered a few things, and I just was going through my notes. We didn't cover managed identity as an as a concept. Yeah. What is that? Yeah, that, that's managed identities, and then the identities that you can give to a an Azure resource. So on or the equivalent on AWS could be the AWS EC2 instance role, for example. So that an EC2 instance assumes. So let's say we're running an application. Let's just take our Argos application. So our application runs on Azure Functions and so or serverless. And our application, a .NET Core application, needs to do something on Azure Cosmos DB. Our backend is Azure Cosmos DB, no SQL offering by Microsoft. And the application needs to authenticate against this other Azure service. We could obviously go and just hard code um, the access key or the connection string into our application, right? We could do that. And then David, the security auditor comes along and looks at the code and says, oh, that, yeah. don't do that. Um, as you were saying that, I was I was just keeping my ears like la 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 la. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're obviously not doing that because um, yep. that's a terrible practice. Kids, do not follow this at home. Yeah. <laughs> Instead, what you can do is you can create a managed identity that yep. the application that the user function inherits when it starts up. So it can go and uh, internally, the, there's an endpoint 
on the ISO function or the ISO virtual machine, just like your instance endpoint on AWS, where you can get your credentials from. So the application just calls that endpoint, says, hey, I want some credentials. And with those temporary credentials, I can then go and authenticate against other services and do something. Interesting. And so am I right in putting this under the same camp as robot users as well? Yes, and, they... yes and no. So the could obviously also go and just create an app registration and yep. give that app registration access to Cosmos DB and my function would get from the environment variables, for example, get the app ID and secret. Yep. Um, but then I have to go and rotate the secret every time. Yeah, I have to go and manage that app registration. Oh, the managed okay. identity is managed, um, as okay. the name says. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I, sorry, I was going to say, if I take a step, a step back, yeah. when in what scenario am I using managed identity and what scenario am I using app, app registration? So that's maybe a better way to answer, ask this question then. What, so if I'm listening to this for the first time and I'm like, oh shit, I've been hard coding my connection strings or I've been giving access to, I don't know, name application X, Facebook, mm -hmm. I, I guess with a, by creating an Azure AAD user, but what's like, what are the use cases for using a managed identity versus app registration? Yeah. So um, managed identities are not supported by every resource, yeah. the, um, the most important resources that would need a managed identity do support it. So the virtual machines support managed identities, so functions support managed identities. I think AKS, um, so the Kubernetes services, they support managed identities now. Logic apps support managed identities. So from the platform point of view, the most important services that would need it do support it. Now the question, however, is does the application know how to get credentials from the managed identity endpoint? In our case, for example, because we are writing the application, we know how cloud works, we understand cloud, we know that we don't go and hard code credentials, we don't use an app registration, we just create the managed identity and our code knows how to deal with that. If you've got a legacy COTS application um, running on an Azure virtual machine and your vendor says, by the way, we only support up to Windows Server 2008, which by the way is end of life, dead, don't use it anymore. But then there's a very high chance that that application, if it needs to go and authenticate to a storage account or a, a, a SQL database, for example, then there's a very high chance that they don't know how to use a managed identity endpoint. And they might ask you to either put in the app ID and app secret, or even a username and password to, let's say, take a disk snapshot and put it into a storage account. Ah, right. That's a, that's a good segue into the question around the fact that what's the difference in deployment between, say, a startup, or how do you see that scale difference between, say, a startup versus a more mature organization in Azure? Um, I think that 
So, so from a startup point of view, and Argos is my is probably a really good example for that. We absolutely care about providing business value, right? As a startup, I am never going to make money by managing a virtual machine and, and patching a Linux server or a Windows server or trying to figure out how to run this bash script on a Ubuntu server, right? Never. Unless I have a startup that does that, that's not my business. My business is to create business value and uh, provide business value, um, which is why startups will usually tend to go to more pass and managed offering, right? So Argos, for example, we are fully serverless. We have a um, static HTML app on storage accounts, a static website connecting to Azure Functions. So your functions as a service with a NoSQL backend. And there, there's no need for us to worry about patching any infrastructure. We need to worry about patching our code, obviously, and dependencies. But we, we don't have to worry about running apt-get um, every second time we do something. The, the other end, and I think the much more common deployment method is, and, and that's true for Azure, but almost certainly also true for most other cloud providers, is there's a virtual machine that gets deployed that uh, on a good day is deployed into a scaling group and knows how to scale up and down and in and out, uh, out and in, and there's a database backend. So usually we we do see a lot of virtual machines still in the cloud. Oh, interesting. And to your point, I think this is kind of like towards the uh, tail end as well, but I wanted to kind of clarify, if I am at each, either one of those stages, right? I'm at a startup level or kind of like to your point about mature enough that I'm using serverless, is there, I guess, recommendations, the kind of identity should I have in a small team versus a large team? Or like, I know it's a very broad topic and it could be very specific to the use case, mm -hmm. but is there almost like a general pattern for if you are a small firm, I don't know, just use AAD users, SSO, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like if you're a bigger user, then you have a complex layer of you have managed identities, app registrations, you've got all these complex things to deal with. How does this scale really well? And if this is a startup listening to this, where can this start right now or by setting the right foundation? so that it allows i also it's almost like if i were to call it out as anyone listening to build the right foundations from an identity perspective how should they be thinking about this now so that tomorrow when they become the next facebook and sell for 700 million dollars at least they, this is what they would still be ready yeah so the the good thing is if you get you most likely not going to get yourself into into a dead end no almost no matter what you do, there's always an out. And as a startup, I would say you have your tenant, you don't have to federate because you're most likely not going to have anything to federate from. Yeah, so there's no federate your active directory into AAD because um, startups usually don't have any on-prem active directories. So start with your tenant, secure the tenant 
people do like to see that you know what MFA is. People do like to see that you understand basic um, security principles like that. You don't log in with your highest privileged user. You log in with a base role and have the um, way to escalate into or elevate your permissions into a higher role. Uh, and then you go and scale on the inside of your subscription initially. So you create a subscription and then as a startup, you have a non-prod resource group, a dev resource group. And I think in the 101 podcast the other week, you talked about resource groups a bit. So you scale inside of that one subscription. That one subscription is yeah. highly scalable already. Uh, and then you start creating more subscriptions. The larger you get, you might have a, a subscription for at some point then non-prod and prod dev. The nice thing is you can move resources across subscriptions quite easily. Oh, really? Um, I don't know that. So it's not, yeah. it's really interesting because I think while well, coming from an AWS and I don't know if it's Google and it's the same as well, but you can't really move that easily. So you kind of have to do the whole, I don't know, architecture debacle at that point. How do I want to migrate my yeah. data? But so you, I can have an object in one subscription A and I can move that to subscription B. Yeah, without downtime. So, wow. um, yeah, sorry, I would let you continue. I just thought I was like something worth calling yeah, out. It's actually quite nice. I think it's fair to say that ideally, um, the way to move something is to just point your pipeline at the other subscription and deploy um, from infrastructure as code and automation. But um, I, I think out, when we're outside of this ideal world bubble, then there is still a lot of click ops happening and people deploying things. La, 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 la. <laughs> so cannot hear you, David. <laughs> <laughs> so it's absolutely possible to then move something to a different subscription. The larger you get at some point, an enterprise might even go and say, actually, we do also need a non-prod tenant. Yeah. So not just because there might be things that they want to test inside of that non-prod tenant or against the tenant. It might also be that they take the whole separation of separation of consents and the blast radius very, very seriously uh, and say everything non-prod needs to be in the non-prod tenant and only mm -hmm. non-prod subscriptions live underneath the non-prod tenant. And there's no connection from that tenant to on-prem. It's completely separate and isolated. Right. So, but then, okay, to, to, to your point, to summarize, startup land, one subscription, you still have enough resources to work with. Absolutely. As you grow, add more subscriptions, have some segregation. And then, then you go into the complex land of app registration. When you talk about third-party app registration, and when you're talking about uh, designing for, I guess, for the future, that's when you kind of talk about manager identities where you're using different kinds of functions. Is that how you would say it? Yeah, I think startups will probably, um, and if you already talk about serverless as a startup, they will probably already start using managed identities and app registrations mm -hmm. um, because it's the easiest way to achieve your goal. If, if you're writing the Most application. Most effective as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the simplest way to just get to where you need to go. Interesting. 
Um, we are kind of towards the tail end of our show as well. I think I believe just the 45 minutes went by so quickly as well. I've got three fun questions for you. And because you're a return guest, I wonder if some of your answers have changed since the last time we spoke. Ah, right. That was like pre-COVID and now post-COVID, well, not post-COVID yet, in COVID. So, so maybe we can have a post-COVID episode as well to, to come the whole circle. But just want to ask, what do you spend most time on when you're not working on cloud or technology? Oh, me personally? Oh, it's not a what are, what are your hobbies question. <laughs> uh, more like, I was going to say you gonna, you'll probably include your flying or... Yeah, or those. Um, so I've, I've been a private pilot for 20 years now. And I'm actually going flying right after the set podcast. Like, oh, just so that you got the high from the podcast and now you're just yeah. doing it again. And I'm literally going high, <laughs> sky high. <laughs> so uh, I think if I don't talk about technology and cloud, uh, you will catch me talking about planes uh, and sometimes at the same time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fair, fair point. And yeah, I, I can vouch for, uh, if you guys follow David O'Brien on his social, you probably see the pictures of, of amazing shots of Melbourne as well. What, mm -hmm. what is something that you're proud of, which is not on your social media? Not on, uh, I think I share way too much on social media. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w without being too, uh, I, I don't know, too, too, per too personal, too open, not too, but don't I am very proud of, I'm very proud of what I've built over the last 10 or 12 years in my career. Now I've, I'm very proud about being, being able to move continents um, six and a half years ago. Because clearly I'm not Australian. Really? I, yeah. Why would I it's think that? It's difficult to pick up, but that's not an Australian <laughs> accent. Um, so I'm very proud of of the fact that my wife and I, my wife Sandra and I, um, we've been able to achieve this big, big move. Now, well, I think moving country is not easy, no matter what the age. So good on you guys as well. The final question, what's your favorite restaurant or cuisine that you can share with? <laughs> Just say in COVID, because I know your previous COVID answer and probably the guests <laughs> who are the audience listening in as well knows it. So in COVID, what's been your favorite go-to uh, dish or restaurant, I guess, considering takeaways are still open in Melbourne? Or yeah, so we we live in Geelong, right? So we're not... G-Town. Yeah, we're not technically in the very strict lockdown, so we're allowed to go further than five kilometers. The we've been to a really really nice truffle farm up near Ballarat, where where they had a truffle dog just like what we have a lagotto hunt truffle. So we actually did truffle oh. hunt. So they let the dog loose on that farm, and the dog dug up the truffle and we That's then so had cool. yeah and, and we we then had truffle pizza so the truffle that oh. we just hunted in the morning they shaved them on, onto the pizza and that was real so uh, i think to answer the question it's the the cuisine with the nicest experience around it um i, I just like to eat <laughs> and if there's a really nice experience, nice people um, around, then uh, I think that's the cuisine I really like. 
Oh, nice. And we have a, we have a few people who are ex-Geelong here as well. It seems like many, many of you still oh. live in Geelong as well. But to, thanks so much for your time. And where can people find you if they have any follow-up questions on this Azure identity questions? Yeah, so I'm obviously on LinkedIn. So you can find me there, David O'Brien. I'm on Twitter at David underscore O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Um, on if you have any consulting questions, you can reach out on xirus.com.au, X-I-R-U-S. And if you want to know more about cloud security posture management, that's the um, startup that we are about to launch very, very soon called Argos. So you can go to argos-security.io to learn more about that. Awesome. Thank you. And thanks so much for joining us this time. And I'll add that in the show notes as well so people can reach out. But thanks so much for your time again. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for coming. (laughs) Can't wait to have you again, man. Uh, Thanks so much again. I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Ashish. Thank you for listening to that episode of Cloud Security Podcast. If you found some new information from that episode, we would appreciate if you share it with others. Share it with us as well if you have any good feedback or good learnings from the episode. We are on all your favorite podcast platforms. If you don't find us there, you can always go on our website, www.cloudsecuritypodcast.tv to listen to the latest episode. We appreciate your support in helping us grow. It helps us bring more guests. It helps us support the channel. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time and talk to you on the next episode.